basement. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, and then we're going to jump to chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Again, this 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Please follow along with me as I start reading in chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there is no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there, there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you, each one, each one of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I would baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did, also, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't, know, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of his power. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when you say, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, before we jump into the text, I want you to see this picture of uh, our, whoa, 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 our camping trip uh, last year. Uh, we went to Hemlock, and uh, it was such a blast. We're going to do it again this year. So uh, not this Friday, but next Friday, we're going to go camping. So uh, this is a church camping trip. All are welcome. Uh, if you want to be in a tent and out in the wilderness, you can do that. If you want to be in a more like a hotel room, uh, you can do that. If you want to be in a, a, a cabin, which is kind of a blend between the two of a tent and a hotel room, uh, you can do that. So uh, if you uh, are thinking, hey, I think I want to go, you can uh, get more information on the What's Happening page. Or you can ping that link there to sign up. Uh, and then you'll be able to select the kind of room you want. We'll get in touch with you right after that and kind of give you more details and help you sign up for the camping trip next Friday from the 22nd to the 24th. So uh, not this Friday, but the 22nd to the 24th. Uh, the second uh, picture is this. is a video of, um, of the team and the ministry that's waiting for us in Ukraine on Wednesday when our team from the well uh, gets there. I love that. He goes, he goes, next week we pack. 
we pack the boxes. <laughs> and we take them to all these families all over Ukraine who are in desperate need right now. Uh, and it might literally be the only thing they have to eat for the next few weeks. And we also share the good news of the gospel, and we do trauma training while we go. Uh, so I kinda, I'm kind of just overwhelmed even as I think of our team going to do that. So uh, let's pray for them. Uh, let's pray for ourselves as we hear from his word right now. Um, would you join me in prayer? Uh, I'll pray to our God. Uh, Father, uh, right now we just ask that you would you prepare our team that's going to Ukraine. Uh, the men and women that are bringing trauma training and um, hands and feet to bring food and the good news of Jesus to these men and women in Ukraine who so desperately need hope. Thank you, God, that, uh, that you are there already and you're inviting us in a small piece into your presence and your care and your sovereignty and your goodness. And, and for uh, the team on the ground there and the ministry there doing ongoing work, we give you praise and thanks. Uh, God, we're here before you right now to hear from your word. We want to know you. We want to worship you. We want to serve you. We want to enjoy you. We want you to be glorified in our lives, that you'd be revealed in our lives and through our church. Uh, God, we know a big piece of that is the unity that Paul talks about here in these scriptures. God, in this sermon, would you draw us to a deeper unity, a deeper commitment to one another, to your Son whom we love and we follow for the good of your world. God, humble our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to who you are and what you have for us so we might hear from you in your scriptures this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, Jesus prays in John chapter 17 for unity, for longevity of relationship, for depth of relationship. And, and listen to what he prays. He prays for us, actually, even us specifically. John chapter 17, this is the last week of Jesus' life, and he comes before the Father, and he asks this. I do not ask for these only, that's his disciples, he's just prayed almost the same thing for, but also for those who will believe the Well Community Church in me, Jesus, through their word, through the disciples' word, that they might be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they might be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they might become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Would they be one? Would they be unified? Would they go deep and would they endure in their relationships? Would they enjoy the same kind of relationship that Jesus enjoys with the Father who enjoys with the Spirit, that we would enjoy that kind of depth and love and other glory and care in that kind of relationship Jesus prays for? That it would be a, a relationship and unity that would glorify Him in the earth. That people would look at the way we're unified and love each other and treat each other and say, wow, they must have an amazing God. 
See, I think Jesus knows what we have experienced, that deep and enduring relationship leads to great joy and glorifying Him. Yet broken and fractured relationship leads to deep pain and does not glorify our God. Uh, through the past few years, maybe you have seen this, uh, relationships that were deep and enduring, they fractured through politics or uh, racial discussions or uh, uh, this or that point of view. And what you, you, you thought you had in a tight-knit family with enduring relationships was shredded. Or maybe in the past year you've experienced deep and enduring relationships as you suffered an illness, as, as those who had always been there carried you even more deeply and fully in your life. I see, deep and enduring relationships, they lead to life and enjoyment, and they glorify our God, yet fractured and broken relationships, they hurt like crazy, they hurt like crazy, and they don't glorify our God. And Jesus prays here, would we be one and man, how divided are we today? In the church, outside of the church, all over, would we be one that we would enjoy what God has planned for us and we would glorify our God? Jesus prays for it. Uh, Paul now fights for it in the church of Corinth, and, and we ourselves fight for it in our church, the well here in Silver Spring. Remember, we're in a vision series here where we're looking at who are we as a church? Why do we do church the way we do? You know, when we say we follow Jesus together for the good of the world, what does that mean? And, and, and Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and it's a young church. They're about five years in or so, and, and they're a giant mess. People are coming from all different directions directions and backgrounds and ethnicities and points of view. You got Jews and Gentiles and they're all kind of coming together in this giant mess so we could expect, wow, there are going to be a lot of disagreements. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of elevating of things that are minimal to make it a maximal and they're going to they're uh, come from this backstory of that backstory and not get along and, and Paul is saying right here in this passage that's exactly what's happening actually uh, you're in schisms you're in quarrels you're not getting along you're dividing and so he's going to talk about it. And what we're going to do is look at the situation and there are lots of reasons for division in our life uh, and in our church and then we're going to look at a solution because though there's lots of reasons for division and dividing and leaving relationship there's really only one or two major solutions that kind of connect with every situation or reason for division. Uh, so let's get into it, and then we'll look a bit at our church uh, at the end. The situation is this. Paul states it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and following. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So here's what Paul says. I want you to agree. I want you to agree that there be no divisions. You, you would have this unity that Jesus prayed for, we will fight for, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, there are going to be disagreements. He talks about them. There's going to be enduring disagreements in the way uh, of how we live out our faith or even what we believe, and, and we can kind of talk through those and sometimes even uh, continue in disagreement in those, but still to be unified now, here's what's happened in the church at Corinth. Uh, there's, a, there's a mole. <laughs> there's Chloe. Listen to this. Uh, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. <laughs> 
There's a, a gal there, uh, Chloe, and, and then it's reported to Paul that there's quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters, that I mean each one of you says this, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. There's always one of those. I'm the Jesus one. <laughs> And you guys are all wrong, right? Uh, Paul, Paul, I think, puts that in there to say, uh, you're being divisive too. Uh, He says, you know, there's some of you here who say, I follow Paul. Uh, You've decided that you're going to align with his personality and maybe even his teachings a bit more uh, than you would align with Apollos. And and you're over here saying you follow Apollos and there's there's quarreling and backbiting and and maybe even gossiping as this one crowd goes this way and aligns themselves with Paul. That one goes this way with Apollos who's who's actually this gregarious great teacher, right? We're going to go with him and what he says. And then there's Cephas, Peter, right? You got Peter and Paul, these stalwarts of the church in the beginning uh, of the church. and, And some are saying, I'm of him. I'm of him, I'm of him, and they're quarreling, and they're backbiting, and they're acting like infants, he'll call them, in chapter 3, verse 1. Acting like infants, not because not they don't understand the more deep doctrines of the truth, which we ought to dig into and get deeper in our doctrine, but because they're not treating each other with love and kindness and maintaining unity and maintaining relationship. They're being children And there are a bunch of reasons for this. Like we said, there's a myriad of them in the Corinthian church. In Acts 18, you can read all about all the different kinds of people who are coming together in this moment. Uh, When I do premarital counseling, uh, when we talk about conflict, uh, we kind of level on this idea because people are like, oh man, conflict's bad. No, conflict's not bad. Actually, conflict leads to unity. We have to to know... uh, you're bringing two different people together. In the church, in the family of the church, what we're doing is bringing different people together, different perspectives, different ideas, different desires, and we're bringing them together to make them one family together. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be division. What we need to do is work through it in love to seek unity with one another. And not only are we bringing different kinds of people together with different desires or different trajectories, we're bringing uh, sinful people together. Sinful people. In marriage and in the church, we're coming together to make one new family. Sinful people and different people. And Paul says what you're doing is you're aligning with others. You've made, in a sense, these people your functional saviors and their way of faith your way of faith and and you say you're of this you're of that and you're ripping each other to shreds in it there are many reasons that we do this if we could ever own this building we might argue over the new carpet color we put we're not we would not keep this color (laughs) Uh, maybe you were part of a church when they changed the hymnal, right? And then, and then boom, explosion, right? Uh, one went this way. Or, or politics or uh, theology or relationship or ethic, right? There's a bunch of different reasons we disagree all the time. There's one solution. Paul's going to get to it here in his circumstance, which applies to all these different circumstances of division. Uh, the solution is this. Who Jesus is and what we are about. Who Jesus is and what we are about is the solution to division and quarreling 
and fragmenting and breaking and leaving relationship in the church. And notice what Paul says here as he goes on. You know, you know, Chloe, she told me all about what's going on there. And I heard that some of you are saying you follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas and I follow Christ. And, and then Paul says, verse 13, is Christ divided? He, he does these bullets of three questions. Is Christ divided? Uh, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This is how he answers the problem of division in the church. Uh, he says first, is, is Christ divided? Isn't there one Jesus? Uh, isn't Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 true? There is one name. There's one hope. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father above. Isn't, isn't, don't we have one glorious Savior? Isn't His name Jesus? Jesus isn't what he matters most who he is what he's done he he lived this life that we couldn't live of love and perfection and holiness and obedience every step of the way a life that you don't live and I don't live don't we have one savior who did that and wasn't he crucified on the cross that's Paul's second question he says was I crucified for you <laughs> Was I your Savior? Well, didn't Jesus, wasn't He the one who died to pay for our rebellion, our schisms, our lack of love, our quarreling, our propensity to leave and break relationship? It wasn't, isn't He the one who drew us back into relationship with God the Father, making us sons? Isn't, isn't He the one who sent the Spirit to make us His sons and daughters to say, live in relationship with the living God and then let that be mirrored in the way that you live in relationship with the living church, Christ's body? Wasn't He crucified? It wasn't Paul, Paul says. And wasn't He the one that then resurrected to give us newness of life and relationship with each other and purpose and hope and salvation in the one Savior? Paul says, was I, uh, was it my name that you were baptized in the name of Paul? I see the idea that, that we have this one Savior. We also have this one identity in baptism. Is it Paul? It's not Paul. He <laughs> says, I didn't baptize you in my name. He says, I baptize you. Your identity uh, is that of a Jesus follower. You, you, you died with him in his death. You resurrected. You came out all soaking wet. You walked your life identified with and as Jesus's. Not Paul's, not Apollos's, not Cephas. No one else's but Christ. He, who he is, makes us one together. When we elevate Christ and fix our eyes on him, we remember who matters most, who he is and what he's done. And our eyes are fixed on him. I love the picture of Revelation chapter 7. This is where we're all headed at the end of time, Revelation chapter 7. And John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Eyes fixed on Christ, all tribes, nations, tongues, uh, political persuasions, uh, all looking at Christ saying, He is our Savior, fixed on Him. There's this fun moment I told you about our out west trip. Uh, uh, Old Faithful is this geyser that explodes every 45 minutes or so. And what happens is the day goes on, a huge crowd comes around it. Little kids, big kids, rich, poor, white, black, Latino, Korean, everybody comes around and says, it's coming, it's coming. Boom! And everybody then goes, yeah! Just clapping. All eyes, all different people, all unified in the glory of that moment. Not divided. In love with, worshiping, glorifying, honoring, elevating Christ first. Who He is, fully God, fully man, crucified for us to give us life. Our Savior, whom we live for. Uh, Paul here says uh, simply then, uh, who he is unifies us. I'm not your Savior, he says. Uh, That or this is not your Savior. These other things uh, are not your Savior, uh, uh, the ones to divide along or uh, break relationship over. Who he is unites us and keeps us united. When we elevate any other thing, any other even doctrine or any other practice or any other political persuasion uh, to this this height of who Christ is, uh, we will see our unity uh, torn apart. Christ must be first and preeminent in our life and in our church if we are to remain together, unified in Him. Another great way to break unity is to make someone else your Savior, by the way. Uh, this pastor or this person or this thing must live up to the, the standard of uh, the law we set for them or uh, who we need our Savior to be. And when they fall short of that, we break relationship. Paul says, I'm not your Savior, this or that's not your Savior. We have one Savior. Oh, he's a glorious one. Let's stay united around him. A second piece of the solution that Paul then presents is not just who Jesus is, but man, what we're about, what he's about, what we're about as his church. I love it. It gets real, real for Paul there. He, you know, he said, was I baptized? And then like a good pastor, he goes, man, I thank God that I didn't baptize any but Crispus and Gaius so that no one could say that you were baptized in the name of Paul. And then he's like, I did baptize. Oh, yeah, also the house of Stephanus. And beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized him. It's just real, right? It's like I can't even. Some, this one couple came up to me, and they're like, Matt, so good to see you again. And I'm like, hey, you. They're like, oh, you married us. And I'm like, oh, yeah. No, those were good years. No, like, you know, and Paul's just like, yeah, I didn't, you know, I'm just so glad I didn't, I wasn't all about baptizing everybody in, in my name, certainly not my name, Paul says. And, but then he's just like a good pastor. He's like, yeah, I can't even remember who I baptized. What a, oh, gosh. And then he says this in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied his power. He says, Christ sent me on a mission to be a part of his work. And, and Paul knew, hey, he's a preacher. And he's like, I'm here to talk about who Jesus is. And then the next chapter, we spent all of our time on last week of, of the gospel. It's the folly to the world, but it's the power to us who believe that everything's centered on who Jesus is and what he's done in our church. And, and it's the message we have to preach to this world. He says, I came to preach. I came to do his work. And then he'll return to this because he kind of bookends that section, goes back to this division idea, and he says uh, these kinds of things about what he is called to do, what we are to be about, what he was about, and how it therefore unifies them and the church together. What then is Apollos, he says, and what is Paul? We're, We're just servants, servants of the one true God. We are here to do Jesus' work. Paul says, man, I'm going to preach like crazy. But, but we're all servants of the one true God to be about what He is about. Through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He's going to repeat that again. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Uh, notice we are servants unified uh, under one Lord whom we serve. And, and only one God does the work of bringing growth for anything we're about here as we live for Jesus. So, so we're servants to him and it's only by him that anything we do is worth anything. He's the one who brings about growth. And it's not just that, but then in our work as we live out our calling following Christ together for the good of the world he who plants and he who waters are made one together linked in the work of the gospel one with another and each will receive his wages due to his labor for we are God's fellow workers together you are God's field God's building and then he'll go down there and say and there's one foundation in verse 11 the Lord Jesus Christ What unites us is who Jesus is as we keep Him preeminent in our lives and in our church above all other things and what we're about. That we want Him to be known. We want to preach the good news. We don't care who waters and who tills. or uh, We want to be His servants and fellow workers together knowing that He will produce a harvest and He is building a foundation on one foundation, Christ. We want to be about Jesus and His work here at the well. That's what unites us. And that means these purposes are over our preferences and even our disagreements. Purpose over preference, what we're about. Unity is birthed by a common cause. Unity is birthed by a common cause. Deep community, deep love, linking arms is birthed by a common cause. Uh, sophomore year I got pulled up to varsity as a goalkeeper and so that just meant I was going to watch the starting goalkeeper all playoffs you know so which is pretty cool though as a sophomore year like I'm going to just watch that guy play Uh, and but all my best friends were on the team and and what we did kind of heading into the playoffs so we're in this together right and we're unified together we were linking arms and and then one of the guys goes we should shave our heads So we all shaved our heads. I look like an idiot with a shaved head. <laughs> but our common purpose drew us deep in unity together, and it was a blast when we made it all the way to the state finals and then lost. We lost. But 
what, what, a, what, a, what a family together. Saying, us, the church saying, he is worth it. You are so, you're to be glorified. I'm in this for the long haul. Uh, I will keep relationship and unity because you, Jesus, are worth it. And then saying, linking arms together, saying, ah, man, let's all till together. Let's be fellow workers together because there is a world out there that is dying without the gospel. Let's be in this. Let's shave our heads. Let's not shave our heads. Now, when we lose sight of who he is and the mission we're called to, that's when the minimal things become maximal and the small differences become cracks and canyons and little bricks become huge walls. And when we forget, oh, what a Savior we love and serve together. It's the hardest thing to stay in a relationship, isn't it? It's one of the hardest things, but the most deeply life-giving and richest things is to stay in relationship. Uh, I was a golf caddy, and so that meant I got to know uh, the groundskeeper, and he would just talk about, oh, I love our fairways. Why? Because they're so old, and the roots have gone so deep, and it's so thick and good. That took a lot of time. Uh, the good bottle of wine getting better with the years. It's kind of the difference between renting and hopping this and there communities over time and buying and saying, I'm going to sink roots if I can, or, or renting the same place and sinking roots where I can. I love the military families that come. They know, they, they're forced to jump all around. Here's what they do the moment they get here. They sink roots in relationship right away so that every year they have is just a valuable and deep, unified relationship. Uh, one of the greatest joys, we're, we're 11 years into the church, has been a living relationship with those who have stayed and seeing little kids grow up or, or singleness endured and, and enjoyed and, and leveraged for the kingdom or, or walking with uh, this family or that person when, when they were suffering with that disease. And then seeing now their, their health or, or when that adoption began and now that child is, is in for good. And you just, all these different things over the years and you look and you say, oh man, the roots are growing deep because we're choosing to stay one with another. Uh, to see the person who came in who didn't know Christ and they came here, they were invited by a friend and, and that friend had started a, a Bible study at this organization that they, no Bible study should be in and, and they came to Christ, now they're apart and they've grown up in their faith and maturity and now they're married and raising Christian kids and you say, whoa, man, that takes some time for the roots to grow deep. Choosing to stay is hard in every relationship, in marriage, in friendship, in family, in church. But oh, is it worth it? Oh, is it worth it? As we keep our eyes fixed on our amazing Savior, and we keep our feet and hands at the work of the gospel together for His purposes. Uh, there are lots of things that divide us. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of them here um, and because I'm going to gloss them, you're going to get mad at probably every one of them because I can't go into all the details, and that's okay. And even if I went into all the details, you'd probably still get mad at the different things. And 
Because it's what divides us, right? Uh, I love it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, Paul, he says, Let, let's be unified together. Let's be unified together. But then he, he's honest. He says, there's areas that we're going to be divided. And, and so he gives this kind of uh, way forward or paradigm to think. He says, you know, he's, he's talking about foods uh, sacrificed to idols. And some are saying you should eat them and, and some you shouldn't eat them. And, and so they're taking, a, a, at this point actually, a doctrine that, that Paul is writing in the Scriptures down and, and saying, uh, how are we to live in accordance with this? And so uh, some are saying eat them, some are saying don't. And then uh, Paul says, hey, we are free to eat them and enjoy them all. We're free in Christ. And, and what he says then, so when, you're, when you are with other brothers and sisters who enjoy that freedom and that strength, right, the stronger brothers, uh, uh, go ahead and eat. If you're with family and, or, or these uh, brothers and sisters that agree in our freedom, go ahead and just eat and enjoy. Uh, then he says, but if, if you're with folks, that's going to cause them to stumble in a way that they're thinking, gosh, you're eating food that's sacrificed to idols, and, and therefore, gosh, there's two ways of salvation. It kind of really starts to get into uh, their, their stumbling in a way that they start mistrusting Christ then, then he says with a missional lens he says hey just, just don't eat uh, the food sacrificed to idols in those uh, situations and so he says look uh, you, you can live this way or that way and then he gives this phrase but, but do it in faith uh, uh, make sure uh, standing before the Lord you have a clear conscience and so he says, keep the main things the main things, but there's some grayness in this. So in that circumstance, you might live this way and that, you might live that way. And, and actually, you might still agree or disagree in these different things, but stay together and hold them loosely. It's the idea uh, or difference of, of being a, a, a church here at the well that, that creates a box and says, uh, these are every doctrine and every ethic, and this is how we view politics, and this is how, and if you, if you fit all these things, you can stay in. But if you don't, you're out. It's the difference of living a, in a perimeter that says there's an in and out based on uh, everything all the way down to all the little grays. And the difference of saying, here's the things we hold to of who our Savior is and what he's about. And then uh, we're going to swing around and, and be involved in his work in our lives together. And we're going to hold these core things truth. The way we say it here is we have some open-handed issues that we're not, uh, you know, that the good believers disagree on. Now we're going to take stances on those. Uh, but then we have some closed-fisted things like who Jesus is, uh, who we are as his people, who God is, right? Some close-handed, uh, core, critical doctrines that we're going to hold to and say, and that's a close, we'll, we'll fight about that, you know? <laughs> close-handed, open-handed things. And, and it is a bit messy, holding things loosely. Uh, Augustine may have said this. We're not really sure who said this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. In all things, love. I think I got that right. I was doing that by memory. <laughs> okay, here are some places we will divide, and we are divided, and we need to seek the unity of Christ and the purpose he's called us to. Politics. November is coming. And some of us in this room will say, you cannot be a Christian and vote for Trump. And some of us in this room will say, you cannot be a Christian and vote for Biden. 
Because the, the overarching umbrella divider uh, has become our political uh, persuasion or group. And, and then everything uh, kind of falls under that. The sports you watch, the music you listen to, the news you listen to, uh, the car you drive. Uh, who drives a Subaru Forester? Who drives a Ford F-150? You know, don't you? Because everything, and then geographically, we've, we've dispersed uh, uh, progressives or uh, conservatives, and, and everything falls under uh, who watches the NBA? Who watches the NFL? And now that it doesn't all work out perfectly, but our big umbrella, our difference, our divider has become our politics, particularly in this area. Uh, here's what I'd like to say. As November comes, and as we as Christians, I, I got to have th these conversations, maybe you have with your family, maybe you, you have with your friends. Uh, a friend says, how could a conservative Christian vote for Trump? And I got to explain some of that. Uh, a family member says, how could a, a Christian who trusts in Christ vote for Biden? And I got to talk through some of that. And we get to sit and listen and learn and love each other and say, look, man, I really disagree with you on this or that, but here's what I know. I have one Savior, His name is Jesus, and we're in His work together. We're not going to break relationship. Actually, Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Uh, he's the flag we fly over all things, not this or that candidate or this or that party let's learn and listen and understand each other and even embrace each other in unity even though you may still disagree and you should be making your political choices by faith you should be wrestling with the issues and deciding who will i vote for what will i do how will i live politically by faith but there are good christian reasons to vote this way or that or support this candidate or that we need to listen to each other, learn and love, and keep Christ central and His ways what we're about. Uh, this happens with biblical interpretation and theology. Uh, there are uh, crystal clear doctrines about who Jesus is, uh, what He's done, and, and how we serve Him and love Him. There are crystal clear doctrines all through the Scriptures. Then there are some doctrines where lots of really orthodox Christians and Jesus-following people disagree on. Complementarianism, egalitarianism. Uh, what's the role of men and women in the church? How's that to best express a picture of the gospel? Uh, some might be way over here. Some might be way over there. And then we're somewhere in here. And, and then it's uh, attacked from this side or that side. Or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and so uh, the Holy Spirit is active. You ought to see healing every day and prophecy every day. And then the Holy Spirit uh, no longer does these miraculous gifts. So a cessationism or uh, a continuation of the works of the Spirit. And, and you know, uh, some over here, some over here. And here's what I I hope this morning here's what I hope if you're saying man we need to see more prophecy in here more tongues in here I'm so glad you're here if you're saying man we need to see less of this or why are we praying for healing I'm so glad you're here if you're saying man, we need to see women doing this or that or men not doing this or men doing that I, I here's what I want to say I'm so glad you're here if you're saying I'm gonna vote for Biden I'm gonna vote for Trump I'm so glad you're here and I want you to stay as we elevate Jesus Christ more and more and we serve him more and more holding loosely the gray areas 
Now, arguing about them, working them through, getting into the scriptures together and, and how to vote, how not to vote, and what to believe in theology and how to practice. But letting the roots sink deep in our unity and the depth of our relationship over the years to come as we serve and follow Jesus together for the good of his world. Who he is and what he is about and therefore what we're about, that's what unites us. Uh, my favorite picture of this is, and I think that, you know, the reason we named ourselves the well, right, uh, that first small group, I remember sitting around, <laughs> we, had, we had named ourselves Community Rising in the beginning, it was really silly. It was this idea that the community would rise up as we planted the gospel in Silver Spring, right? I, actually, I think it's kind of cool. I think that's pretty cool. I know. I thought that, that was my name. That was the name. I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, but then we knew that wasn't going to be the church name, so there were about 10 of us around the table that were just at the beginning of the church together. We said, let's call ourselves the well. This was after a lot of debate and prayer. And a lot of it was because of this story out of John chapter 4. Who he is and what he's about is what we want to be about. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. Well, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. Most people went around Samaria. (laughs) But he was compelled by the love of this woman he was going to meet there and bring good news to. So he passes through Samaria, and he came to Samaria, this town called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It's about the sixth hour. About noon, she's come there because she's uh, ashamed of who she is and where she's been seeking life in relationships with man after man after man. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. He engages her uh, and allows her uh, to, in a sense, take authority over him and serve him. And he says, I need something from you. And, and, And he says, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Don't you know the barriers that exist? Don't you know we can't be in relationship? Don't you know there's nothing that could bring us together? Uh, You're a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm a woman. Uh, You're a man. Uh, uh, You're super moral. I'm super immoral. Don't you know we can't be in this thing together? And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, You don't even have anything to draw water with. (laughs) I love that. And they go on talking, and Jesus says, No, 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 you're missing it. Everyone who drinks of this water out of this little well here will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. That water I give him will be in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She says, sir, give me that now. I need it. So that I'll never be thirsty again or or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband. You've been searching for life in all these relationships. You've been shoving down sand in order to satiate your deepest thirst, and you're, it's not working. Go call your husband, uh, and then he kind of lays it out for you. You have five husbands. The person you're with now is not your husband, and kind of just fillets your soul right in front of him, but then pours grace into it. And, and he says, they end their conversation with, I, the one who speaks to you, am the Messiah, the one who's come to save and give life and hope. 
So the woman left her water jar there in verse 28 of chapter 4 in John, and she goes yelling into the city where she's from, where everyone knows her, or everyone knows her sinfulness. Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. And she says it in a way, it must have been covered with grace because she said, I met a Savior. He knows what I did, but he forgives me and embraces me. And the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, verse 39. And then they all come, they meet Jesus themselves, and and they say, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard from ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He comes, she finds life. She's welcomed in, He's the Savior who unites us all, even her, even me, even you, around who he is and what he's done. This is why we're here in Silver Spring. This is why we live as the church. We we are living as the well, following Jesus together for the good of the world, because he is our Savior, the one true God who's been crucified for us and given us life. And we are about his purposes. So let's start giving people living water, not arguing about the labels. They're so thirsty. Let's be satisfied in Him alone. Let's keep coming back to the well of Christ and drinking from the water of who He is. And let's let's stop arguing about the labels and the little stuff and elevating Him to the top and letting us divide us. And let's be about who Jesus is and what He's done. Let's keep just pouring water out in this place. I want you to come before him right now and be reminded, oh, what a Savior he is and what he's done. If the relationships in the well are not deep for you right now, would you figure out before Jesus right now, how how do you go deeper, sink roots, plug in more, connect with? If a relationship is fractured in your life, how do you mend it? How do you run towards that tension? Because he is worth it and his purposes are worth it. They're eternal purposes. And one day we'll all be around the throne worshiping him and praising him. Let's take and eat together and rejoice. Oh, what a savior we have.